Here's a content note. Although there are no descriptions of sexual violence in this podcast series, any conversation about sexual violence can bring up big feelings and be hard to hear. Listen in a way that feels safer for you. You get to choose. Welcome to Healing Comes in Waves, a podcast for survivors to explore healing after harm. I'm your host, Farah Khan. I'm so glad you're here. Healing does come in waves, with peaks and valleys, times of movement and times of stillness. We may not be able to stop the waves, but we can learn how to ride them. Many survivors hear the word trauma a lot. But what is it? How does it impact us? In this episode, we're joined by two brilliant mental health workers, Lisa and Nova Browning Rutherford. Let's start by speaking with Lisa to learn about how trauma shows up in our brains, bodies, and nervous systems. Lisa is an Indigenous counselor that specializes in working with survivors of gender-based violence. She has a deep knowledge of attending to the impacts of trauma. She'll explain what the window of tolerance is and how trauma is passed through generations. Deep breath. Let's talk to Lisa. So what is trauma? Trauma is basically an experience that overwhelms a person's ability to cope. It's difficult for a person to take in external information and be able to use that to navigate the situation. Our entire brains are affected and in different ways. I mean, we have the right hemisphere of our brain lighting up. We have the left hemisphere dimming, we have the frontal part of our brains, which a lot of people will refer to as the thinking part of our brains, which become less active, and then the hindbrain becoming more active, and that's associated with those survival responses. Part of the stress response involves excreting adrenaline, and that affects our amygdala, a part of the brain that is associated with emotional memory, right? We release a lot of cortisol. A lot of people know that as the stress hormone, right? And that affects our hippocampus. And the hippocampus relates to connecting short-term and long-term memory, right? Rather than generally having kind of a memory with a start, a middle, and an end that our brains recognize as a memory from the past, what we end up doing is we're experiencing ourselves in a similar way as we did during the trauma. And that activates our survival responses in the moment as if the trauma is happening again. What is important to me too is that you understand that trauma isn't just this episodic thing where it's like this one-time thing that happened. They're going to happen in lots of ways, including intergenerational trauma. Can you share a little bit more about what intergenerational trauma is and the long-term impacts of it? Yeah. Well, we know that trauma can be passed along generationally in a number of different ways, including through epigenetics. So actually changing the expression of our genes. It can be passed along through caregiving styles, your coping strategies, your boundaries, all of that. And a lot of the ways that people have learned to protect themselves, they will pass on to their children. Even if that's not adaptive in the long run, it actually makes a lot of sense in the moment. Part of the challenge is that we don't live in a society that largely understands trauma. And 
provides the resources that people need to work through it, right? And so then what we see are these patterns being passed on from generation to generation and playing out. And unfortunately, we'll have people be like, oh, well, that happened, you know, a long time ago. That's not trauma. It's now a choice. And they actually don't realize the insidious ways that trauma is passed along and survives. And why wouldn't it if it was never named and addressed? So knowing that as survivors oftentimes may not go to a counselor or may have trouble finding a counselor that understands the breadth and depth of what they're dealing with, what are some practices that a survivor can incorporate into their daily life to help mitigate or do some harm reduction on the trauma responses that are emerging? More and more, one of the things that I try to talk a lot about with people is the need to develop self-compassion. And sometimes I hear people say, ah, that's a hippy-dippy thing. And it's actually not. When we internalize the negative messages that we receive, those messages tend to recycle in us. And that in and of itself dysregulates the nervous system. And unless we find a safe place where the nervous system can land, we absolutely cannot process trauma. We relive it over and over and over again. I talk with so many people who beat themselves up around the ways that they have come to cope. One of the things that we can do is recognize that they reflect us trying to get a need met. And so even if we don't feel good about the ways we cope, the underlying need that we have is legitimate. And can we focus on that and explore that and find out what need or needs am I trying to get met, the need for safety, the need for soothing. Maybe we reach for certain coping strategies because they help make us less present for that stuff when it feels too overwhelming. Even practicing shifting our attention to right and trying to get a need met and that need is legitimate even if I don't feel good about this coping strategy. That can help usher in self-compassion. We have some questions from the Consent Action Team, a group of student leaders on campus who've been building this podcast with us. Here's the first question. Can you explain the window of tolerance and hypo or hyperarousal after experiencing sexual assault? That is an excellent question. So when we're talking about trauma responses like fight or flight, what's happening in the body is the body is mobilizing. So it's putting us into a state of hyper arousal. And in that state, a lot of different changes are happening in the body to support us either fighting the unsafety that's happening or running away from it. The body can also bump down into what we call hypo arousal, hypo meaning not enough. In that state, a body moves to what we call survival responses of collapse, submit, or shut down that makes us kind of less present 
for the unsafety that's happening. And so when we talk about the window of tolerance, that's that middle space where we can think and we can feel at the same time. What trauma does is it actually narrows or decreases our window of tolerance. And so what that means is that it actually takes less distress to bump us outside of our windows and put us into an automatic survival response. Oftentimes, one of the first pieces of the work is working on internal safety and increasing that window of tolerance, which supports safely processing trauma later on. What do I do when I feel overwhelmed by emotions? That is a very common experience that a lot of survivors have. What it reflects is our nervous systems mobilizing, right? So we're in that space of hyper arousal, hyper meaning too much. So bringing down our arousal will help bring down the emotion. Getting into your breath can be an excellent way to help reduce arousal and to bring on a relaxation response. One of the things that can be helpful is a three-step approach. One, notice what's happening in the body, what's happening with your thoughts, what's happening with your emotions. Two, name it as trauma memory. And then the third piece is doing a grounding exercise that puts you in the moment. One that I really like, I call the 555. So first you use five things that you see. I usually pick a color, five blue things I see, then five things that you feel against you. So for example, I feel my hair against my neck, right? And then five things that you hear. And what that does is it brings a person to the moment. It doesn't make everything go away, but it does create a little island where you and your nervous system can just rest a bit. I love the visualization of an island of rest. I would love to go there sometime soon. <laughs> you deserve it, Farah. What does healing look like to you, Lisa, today? First thing that comes to mind is an exhale. Trauma can create such rigidity within our thoughts and our emotions and the ways our nervous systems respond. And when I'm thinking of exhaling, I just think of the capacity of our bodies to release. Sometimes what healing involves is allowing that natural intelligence to happen because it is there. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I am very happy to be talking with you. I love learning from Lisa about the neurobiology of trauma. It's really affirming, and I hope it was for you too. To understand more about how trauma impacts our daily life, let's talk to Nova. Nova has lectured on the effective actions that leaders in academic, public, and private sectors can take to integrate and promote well-being and equity at work. She is an award-winning speaker who's been featured in the Huffington Post, the OWN Network, and other national print, online, and TV outlets. Deep breath. Let's talk to Nova. 
On the show, we're talking about mental health and self-care for survivors of sexual violence. What are key things you want survivors to know about mental health? That it's not a constant. And that's why we have a responsibility to check in, just to check in seasonally to see where we're at so that we can make note of what's working well on the good days. It's like, hey, that was a good day. Write that down. And then I would say to put context to those emotions. Sometimes, you know, being burned out, being in grief, just feeling like shit. Sometimes that's the appropriate response. There's a time for that. And we have to allow ourselves time for that so we can get to the other things. How do survivors deal with the shame of even having a myriad of feelings as they're navigating healing? I've just learned and the guidance I've been given is when it comes, let it. And when it goes, let it. We can insist on staying in that sadness because it's been familiar and it's comfortable, or I feel that that's what I should feel, that I shouldn't feel joy or celebrating or laughing, and that there's room for both, but it's a harmony. It's different things working together, and sometimes it's 80, 20, 70, 30, and it evens out. I love that you said that we could have joy in these moments because sometimes there's this idea that I'm not a real survivor. I'm not a good survivor if I'm not just sad all the time or I'm angry all the time, but also I can have moments of joy. All the more reason to have moments of joy. There is a grief because grief is loss, right? Loss of how things were, loss of yourself, of your soul. And there is a time to grieve that. But how do I care for the parts of me that want to live, especially when there are parts that feel like, I want to die and they may need to, those parts may need to die and they need to be grieved as well. So the rest can live. There's a time for it. Allow yourself the time and latitude for that. For my own experience, I gave it a year to feel that I was a a victim because for there to be a victim, there's a violator. And so I sat in that and I owned that. And by doing that, I took that day back for me. Because every anniversary of that date for me was a year further away because I chose to move forward. And that was hard, but that year was going to pass regardless. So I gave myself the space because I was only going to have that first year once. And that was a gift I gave myself. How do we face our fears around seeking support? Sometimes you just want to be alone and that's fine. And that's a great place to begin because it's being alone with yourself will take some practice at this time. That might be the scariest part. It's forever. You're a survivor for always. So there's a time that's just yours before someone else can have input on how to support you. The the practice may be in just sitting with you. So you get to choose what to do next. Yeah. And how much and who and when. It's that choice again, right? And exploring those options, you know, as boundaries change and as capacity changes, the capacity for support will change when you're ready and only, you know, what you're ready for. If it's for one friend or a group, there are resources on campus, there are survivors or women, you know, in your circle who, who have been here, but it's about being able to receive it, you know, be ready to receive that. And that takes time. So it's finding out of what your capacity is and also what's the best medium for you. 
It may not be in person. It may be the written word or a podcast. It could be all kinds of things. So exploring what's best, and then you decide as to what you go further with. That, again, comes back to that empowerment of really owning our own healing. I feel a lot of blame, shame, and guilt after what happened. What do I do with those feelings? The first thing that you did well is you named them. You gave them a name and you associated them with what happened. They're not out of nowhere. So you're doing everything right. You've put them into context, you've named them. And what to do with them, invite them in. Ask them what it is you need to know and visit them. But like they can live somewhere else. Have a place where you can access those feelings now that you've named them, that you feel safe, that you can go and kind of sit with them. Have that good cry, write it out, like just get it out. And you did the best thing is by acknowledging them. But there's no rush. There's no race to like get over it or move past it. But naming it calls them out of the crowd. And then when it answers, you have something to say, but have a place to access it. Leave the feelings there. Have somewhere that you can drop it off that's different than where you're trying to rest, that you can go there when you need to. You don't have to bring those feelings everywhere you are. For a while, my safe space wasn't the shower. So I fell in love with baths and I made it a ritual. And on Friday night, that was just my time to just like pull back, check where I was holding those feelings in my body, what bubbled up and why this week. And I just treated myself like really nicely for as long as I wanted to just linger in there. It was just something I did for myself, a small thing, but I never felt worse after it. And that's how I started my self-care was by answering that question. I never feel worse after I, what? I didn't always feel better, but I never felt worse after a hot bath. What do I do when I have a panic attack in class? It's knowing that it's an attack, a panic attack, and that does feel like dying. It feels so urgent. So somewhere that you can be safe and have some privacy and discretion where you don't have to explain yourself is key. Nobody needs to know what you're going through or why. So right away, I would remove yourself from the stressor, right? Thoughts and feelings, physical environment, body sensations, and start paying attention to those things. If it's in the class, that's the physical environment, get out of there. Body sensations, where are you feeling it? Is it tight in the chest, hot in the face? And do the things that can start slowing you down. Oftentimes it's that deep breath work. So parasympathetic response, but we want to slow the heart rate down, let our brain know we've got it under control. And that's a short inhale for three and a long, a long exhale for six. And do that as many times as you can, maybe 10 times or trace your fingers up on the inhale, down on the exhale. Just kind of get back in your body, especially when you feel that mind racing, feel your feet, get back in your body. And then talking yourself down right to where you are in the present moment. I'm at this address. This is my name. This is the date. This is the time. And just like slowing it down to the present moment. 
What's a feeling that surprised you on your own journey and your journey supporting survivors? The relief and release that comes with talking, that comes with the quiet, closed eyes, head nod of solidarity and understanding and relation. The relief and release that comes with having like a real good belly laugh for the first time in a long time and hearing myself laughing again and almost of gratitude. Like, thank you for letting me laugh again. Just seeing that like unwavering bond that comes with like the eye contact made with another survivor. There's just a knowing and a not explaining and there's a no judgment. And as much as I don't want to be, I know that I'm in a community and I feel honored to be there and held there because I've earned that title. So there was a relief in stepping into that after a long time. Thank you so much for the work that you do in the community to make mental health not carry the stigma and shame that it does sometimes for so many of us. Thank you for being so tender and sharing today. I love the idea of just holding space for ourselves and that's what you have said so many times in this conversation. Thanks for making time for us today. Absolutely. Proud to be here with you. Thanks, Farah. Those were such affirming conversations. Too often, there's this idea that there's something wrong with us as survivors, not understanding that what was wrong is what happened to us, what we were subjected to. I really appreciate that Nova and Lisa gave us some language to understand the impacts of trauma. I love that Nova invited us to think about our good and bad days without judgment, to notice what helps us build safe space rituals, what makes us feel good, and what is challenging. And Lisa also invited us to think about how we can attend to our nervous system, naming feelings and how they show up in our bodies and our hearts and our minds. You just listened to a podcast on sexual violence and trauma. This can bring up a lot of different feelings. What are the ways you're gonna nourish your heart today? You could take a nap, take that rest that you deserve and need. You could run cold water on your hands. That always feels good to me. Whatever you do, take care of you. Healing Comes in Waves is a collaborative project between Consent Comes First, the Office of Sexual Violence Support and Education, with the Student Leadership Group Consent Action Team at Toronto Metropolitan University. Thank you to those student leaders for your brilliance, excitement, and expert advice. Also, thank you to Jaiching Wilson-Yang and Famita Sahan. This show is produced by Ren Bangert, Katie Jensen, and Mahal Stein at Vocafry Studios. Find more episodes of the show, scripts, and resources about healing at healingcomesinwaves.ca. Follow the show wherever you find podcasts. This is Healing Comes in Waves. I'm your host, Farah Khan. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad you're here.